Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Numbers. We're working our way through Numbers. We take in the fall, we usually take an Old Testament book and kind of look at it in a, in a brief overview. Today we're talking about the consequences of unbelief. Numbers chapter 13 and 14 is kind of our, is going to be our, our, our passage for today. And as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. How do you make tough decisions? How do you make tough decisions? You don't have to answer me out loud. But you ever have a tough decision? What, what kind of input are you looking for? Do you, do you ask different people? Do you ask your folks? Uh, is there a go-to person that you like to listen to that you feel that you can trust? Now, for many of us, we probably have quite a few people. Uh, there's probably some that we like to listen to, and there's others that we probably don't. But everyone always has an opinion. But let me ask you this. What if you go to people that you really trust and you ask them the question, you're looking for a report, you're asking, you want their truthfulness, and all of a sudden they come back with contradicting reports or advice. Have you ever had that happen in life? You know, it's just contradicting. You know, you've got one set of in-laws say one thing and the other set of in-laws say something else. Uh, you know, that, that can be very, very difficult. But we're going to face that. You get contradicting or different types of advice or opinions or recommendations and what are you going to do that puts us in a, a tough spot how much weight do you give to facts are you one of those person who says just give me the facts you're, you know you're like uh, joe friday from from dragnet for those of you who might remember that show there's probably very few of you that probably remember that or are you emotion driven do you find yourself making decisions by how much emotion someone how they emote uh, and you probably come maybe a little bit of both and different well, last week we read of the contrast between jealousy and meekness in chapter 12 of Numbers. We saw that one leads to judgment, jealousy, and meekness, though, leads to blessing. We learned that jealousy is a debt that believes that God owes us. He gave somebody something that we feel that we are, we, we are owed. We are, we are complaining, we're moaning, we want what someone else has. And obviously they can't do anything to change that. So you're actually, in reality, blaming God. Well, Scripture warns us not to adopt a heart of jealousy, but one of meekness, one like Moses, trusting that God is a good Father who supplies all that we need, and He grants us gifts according to His wise counsel. Now this week we're going to take a look at one more protest or complaint against God, and the root of this protest is going to be that of unbelief. So with that, if you'd read Numbers chapter 13, the first part of it is going to be here on the monitor. But we're just going to look at Numbers chapter 13. Let's look at those first three verses together. I'll read out loud. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. And from each tribe of their fathers you shall send a man, every one a chief among them. So Moses sent from them from or sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord all of them men who were the heads of the people of Israel. So Father, we just thank you for your word and I pray that we would open up our minds and hearts, give us wisdom and discernment to receive your word. Let us know the difference between uh, uh, my mere opinion and that which is truly your word. And Father, may we respond uh, to what your word has for us this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. 
Amen. So I want to give you a summary as we look at chapter 13. Again, I want to encourage you, uh, each week we try to give you what we're going to be reading and what we're going to be studying. So hopefully you've read Numbers 13 and 14. If not, let me kind of give you a summary here. And we're going to do some reading in your, in your Bibles. Again, if you don't have a Bible, please let me know. I want to give you a free copy of God's Word before we leave today. If you have a Bible, please encourage you to bring them with you. So the first thing we're going to see is that Moses is going to send out 12 men to spy out the land of Canaan. He's going to spend, send out 12 men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now we see this in verse 17. Moses sent them out to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up to the Negev and up into the hill country and see what land is. See what the land is. And whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak or whether they are few or many or whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad and whether or not the cities that dwell are in camps or strongholds and whether the land is rich or poor and whether there's trees in it or not. Be of good courage and bring some fruit to the land. So he's sending out 12 spies. Now remember, this is a land that was promised to them over 400 years ago to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. And eventually as Joseph and them went into Egypt and then into slavery, 400 years, here they are, they're ready to go into promised land and it just makes sense. Hey, go spy out the land, see what it looks like. Give us a report. We haven't been there. We've never been there actually. Their, their great-great-grandfathers have been there, but it has been 400 years. What type of land is it? What are the people like? What's the trees like? What are the cities like? So just kind of come back and give us a report. Now the report we see in verse 25 is that the land is exactly what God has been telling them, as the land is beautiful and bountiful. Look at verse 25. After 40 days they returned, and they came to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness and at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them, and they said, and they showed them the fruit of the land. You might remember they were bringing clusters of grapes that took several men to hold. And they said, we came to the land which you sent us. And look at verse 27, that last verse. It flows with milk and honey. And this is some of its fruit as they bring it back to show. It is a land that is beautiful and bountiful. Everything that they desired. Now remember, they've been in the desert here now for over uh, a little bit over a year. And they've just spent a lot of time complaining and moaning about all the things that have been going wrong. They want more water. They want more food. They want more uh, uh, meat, as we saw last week. And, and they're looking back to the things they used to have. Now here they're coming to a land that's going to have that and much more for them. However, as we get to the third part, this third observation is we see that 10 of the spies, of the 12, 10 spies give a bad report filled with pessimistic exaggerations. We're here in verse 28. He says, however, the land is beautiful. The land is bountiful. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we see the descendants of Anak there. Now, Anak was, uh, was a giant. And so we're seeing there's giants in the land. The Amalekites dwell in the land. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along and along the Jordan. So it's filled with these men and these tribes already. But go down to verse 31. Listen to what they say. We are not able to go up against the people. We can't do it. He says they're stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report of the land 
that they had spied out. By saying, the land through which we have spied out, it is a land. Now here's the exaggeration. It's a land that devours its inhabitants. To be there is to be devoured. We would just crumble. He says, and all the people that are in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. And we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so we seem to them. Pessimistic exaggerations. They all so sudden became prophets. They were going to let their fear and anxiety of what these people are and their vision and what they look like overwhelm what God had told them to do. However, number four is Caleb and Joshua, two of the spies, give a very good report, and it's filled with optimistic expectations. They look at it and they say, here's what we can expect. There is something good. Caleb, it says in verse 30, quieted the people before Moses. Hush, be quiet. Listen to what I have to say, he goes on. Let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Two reports one filled with pessimistic exaggerations, the other optimistic, or pes- yeah, optimistic expectations. These are the things that we look at. Two reports. Once again, the children of Israel are faced with the choice to believe and trust God's provision and his providence or to complain or rebel. And let me ask you, for those who have been with me in numbers for the last four weeks... Which one do you think they choose? Anyone will care to guess? Rebel and complain. What choice did they need? If you said complain and rebel, you have earned the golden star for today. As we move to Numbers 14, though, we read that the Hebrew children have finally reached Yahweh's tipping point as they receive the just rewards for this protest against him. For all this time, they're planning and moaning God finally says, here we are. We're ready to go into the promised land. But yet we see that they do not trust him. And what I want to look at next as we're just summarizing these passages is three responses to the report. Three responses. The first is the response of the people. That's to moan, complain, and rebel against God. You see that in the first four verses. It says, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that, uh, wept that night. Maybe they wept, I don't know. But they, the people wept that night. I don't want to offend anyone here, but if you're into drama, these people were drama queens. I mean, every time you look, they're weeping and they're wailing and everything is just terrible. But what we see here is that these 10 spies... Their moaning and complaining, their bad report doesn't stay just with them as it infects the rest of the camp. And we're talking over two million people. Would that we have died in the land of Egypt or would that we have died in the wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into the land to fall by the sword? You see what they're thinking here, what they're saying? They're believing that God brought them there in order that God may allow them to die. Or our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? They always had Egypt in the mind. They were like a Lot's wife who's always looking back at Sodom and Gomorrah. And they said to us, let us choose another leader. 
and let's go back to Egypt. I think there's many of us here that are like that. When things are tough or we get a bad report, we just want to mistrust. We want to believe the worst about our creator, about the master of the universe. Insurrection is their default response to hardship and difficulties. Like many today, they fold it under the pressure and the bad news. Here they are, 400 years of languishing in slavery and barely one year removed from the miraculous uh, delivery. And they're only miles from the land that was promised to their fathers. They are already ready to pack it up to fire their leader and turn around and go back to Egypt. In verse 10, they even pick up stones to murder Moses and Aaron and Caleb because they say, no, we can do this. Instead of embracing Caleb and Joshua's good report, they expose their sin of unbelief. What's their unbelief on? Not really on their belief of what they're able to do, but the belief that God is good. Their unbelief is not in the reports of, the, of Caleb and Joshua, but in reality, their unbelief is in Yahweh. And that's what you and I have to understand, is that when you and I moan and complain about our circumstance in life or about our financial circumstance, our health, all these things, we are really making a charge against a holy God. They doubt the goodness of God to protect them and their children. They doubt the love of God and his plan to bring them into the promised land. They doubt God's word in which he said, I will come and fight for you. Now you have to remember, these are the people who had witnessed these 10 plagues that Moses brought, that God brought onto Egypt. They were there when they crossed on dry land across the Red Sea and then see the seas come back on over Pharaoh and the army. They were there as God led them for the last year by fire by night and by a cloud during the day. They saw the glory in Moses and in the tabernacle. They had witnessed all these things. But yet they didn't believe. Now you may recall from two years ago from our study in Exodus that Exodus opens up with the people under slavery. And here they are, they're crying out to God. Remember your promise to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Remember that you would deliver us. Remember that you would bring us into that promised land of Canaan. Now here they are, right at the gates of going into the promised land. And they begin to doubt the goodness and the love and the word of God. Unfortunately, this continued unbelief is going to be their undoing and will have drastic consequences. This is not on, on, the, on, the, on, on the monitor, but just you may want to make this note if you are taking notes. As that their response of unbelief, their response of unbelief is fueled by their fear. It's fueled by their fear. They're afraid of the people. They're afraid for their children. And I want to share this editorial note real quickly. Is you and I, many times, that's why we struggle with unbelief. Why we fail to walk in the way that God has called us to. Why we're inconsistent in our Christian life. It's because of fear of what might happen to us. Maybe what might happen to our children or to our lives or to our dreams or to our aspirations. 
But let me tell you, there is nothing to fear. For God says, take your dreams and your aspirations for you, for your family, for your retirement, for your future. And he says, put those on the cross and die to them. What does a dead man fear? For he makes us walk anew. You and I need to recognize the response of the people is to moan and complain and rebel against God. And their unbelief is fueled by their fear. Now I want to look at the second response, and that's of Moses and Aaron and Caleb and Joshua, these four men. And that's to warn and encourage the people. We're in chapter 14 of Numbers, if you're still with me. Look at verse 5. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their face before all of the assembly of the congregation of the people. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, uh, Naiah, uh, who were among those who had spied out the land, they tore their clothes. That's a sign of mourning. It's a sign of repentance. And he said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy out is exceedingly good land. He reminds them, wait a second, this other report, that's not the only report you have to base your decision. This land is exceedingly good. But look at what he says. The land which we pass through is exceedingly good. But look at verse 8. You may want to underline this in your Bible. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into the land. He will give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. Let me tell you here. Let me just say this. Insert this. If you're a disciple of Christ... If you're one who repented of your dead sins and turned and followed Christ. The Bible tells you that the Lord as your father delights in you. And his desire is to give you good things according to his purpose. But you and I have to understand that good thing may be martyrdom. It may be suffering. It may be difficulties in our lives. But in verse 9, you may want to circle this one. You and I need to take this portion right here and we need to let it permeate deep into our hearts and minds. We need to share it with our spouses. We need to share it with our children. It's very simple. Only do not rebel against the Lord. That's the call that goes throughout history. Do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land, for they are, listen to what he says, they are just bread for us. They're for us to consume. The Lord delights in us. Their protection, look at this, is removed from them. They may be tall. They may have strong cities. They may have uh, weapons of iron. But they have no protection. The Lord is with us. Do not fear them. You see, their response is remarkably different. They are, dev they are devastated and they mourn at the people's unbelief. They remind them that no one can stand against them if God is for them. They warn them that their unbelief is actually rebellion against the Almighty God. And to fear Him is what we should do rather than mere men. After God threatens to kill them and restart over with Moses, Moses once again pleads for mercy 
on their behalf. And here's the, the side note that I want you to get. Is their response a belief? Their response was a belief. Their response of belief is fueled by the promises of God. And here's the problem that you and I have many times. Is that the promises of God pale in comparison to our fear. So which one is bigger in your mind and your heart? The fear of, fill in the blank, you're a prophet. So you're just now prophesying what might happen that's bigger than the promises of God. And let me tell you, as children of God, we should not be like these, this ancient tribe, tribes of Israel. The promises of God should mark our path. It should be the, the thing that you and I focus on. For these are things that God has given to his children. If we were to look at verse 13 of Numbers 14, Moses pleads for mercy on their behalf and he says, listen, you must do what you've called us to do. It's for your glory. The Lord is great. Look at verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And for you and I, that's true. But for this, in the Old Testament time, he says, but he will no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth. And he asks, please pardon the iniquity of this people. In verse 19, according to the greatness of your steadfast love, just if you have forgiven this people from Egypt until now. If you were to look in that passage, you would see that God says, I have forgiven them 10 times. And you can go back through scripture and see their moans and protestations against God. 10 times and God says, that is enough. I'm going to start all over. Moses pleads for them. Which leads us to the third response. And that's the response of God. The response of God is a mixture of both blessing, pardon, and judgment. Look at verse 28 of Numbers chapter 14. Say to them, Yahweh says, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness. And of all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me, not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you to dwell, except Caleb and Joshua. So God does pardon their unbelief, that it, but we have to see that it comes at a high cost. God does not wipe them from the face of the earth at that moment. What we see that cost is that they will not see the promised land. Instead, they are cursed to wander that desert for 40 years until everyone from the, take, from the census taken earlier is dead. 40 years is all that was left to them. If you were 20 at the time of the census, you know that you would not live one day past your 60th birthday. The 10 men who gave a bad report, those 10 leaders, and led the people in rebellion, they were to die that day of a plague. However, Caleb and Joshua received a blessing from God for their belief. 
It would not only see, not only would they, not only would one day would they see the promised land, but they would be, play a big part in defeating that enemy. As we would go into Joshua, you would see it's Joshua who will lead the armies against Israel, against the army, armies of these enemies. It will be Caleb who at 80 years of old says, give me that mountain. I want that mountain. I still have the same day of vigor that I had 40 years ago. You see, God's response here is based on his character and his person. And that should be a moment of blessing for us, but also one of fear. For God is a righteous God and a holy God who will forgive his children, but also allow us to have face the consequences of our sin. That should lead you and I to live in a life that's consistent with his promises. It ought to encourage us and strengthen us in those times in which fear is being fueled and our unbelief is rising. Again, we want to consider how these people in these events, as we look at this, what does this have to do with us? 4,000 or so years ago, what does this portion of scripture have to do with you and I? And so we need to look at how these people in these events depicted in these two chapters serve as an example for our instructions. For that's what Paul says. These were written as examples for our instructions. And there are many things found in these two chapters. And you and I could spend several weeks here. However, I want to focus on just one aspect of this passage. And that's the blessings of belief. The blessings that God gives to those that believe and trust in him but also the consequences of unbelief for those who doubt the goodness of God, who doubt the love of God and doubt the word of God. You see, we have to look at the first thing that you and I want to consider is what was the difference between the reports? Some reading this passage might think that God was a little bit overbearing and not fair in his response. They might think, well, that the only issue here is really a, just a mere difference of opinion. You and I know that. You and I could go somewhere and we could look at some things and we might give different reviews of maybe a movie or a song that we like or some other type of fact. So what is the difference? This is just a difference of opinion. The recommendation of the 12 spies was 10 to 2 against action. What really was wrong with that? Well, it would not necessarily be wrong. However, you and I must remember and consider this about that bad report. The negative report was filled with pessimistic exaggerations. They didn't really give the truth. They gave a truth, but they slanted the truth. And it was based and fueled by fear and led to an unbelief. The other thing that you and I must consider is that these people, as we continue, they never truly left Egypt. Yes, they did physically, but it seems like their mind and hearts was going on what they left before. And remember, what did they have before? They were in slavery. They would rather be in slavery rather than be in the promises and the blessings of God. That sounds like many Christians today. We'd rather be enslaved to sins that we've been set free from rather than be in the blessings of God. The other thing that you and I need to consider is that this was a theocracy, not a democracy. This was not to be up for a vote. This was God delivering his people. 
And I'm going to tell you, if you think God is going to ask you your opinion on what he has as a plan for your life, you're, you're sadly mistaken. See, God does have a plan for your life. As the creator and sustainer of all things, it is he who says, this is the path you must walk. These are the things that you must face. But the main consideration is that their actions was based on fear and not on the promises of God. The gospel primer tells us that you and I were created and we were given good gifts and the promises of God that we may look upon God and see him as the supreme object of our admiration. We're to look at him and see that he has given us all things, every breath that we take, every heartbeat or beat of our heart, every function of every organ is a daily moment by moment gift to him, from him to us. That's not what the Israelites admired. That's not what you and I admire. Repeatedly, Scripture shows that their hearts were for Egypt, whether it was for food or security or the familiarity of slavery, they yearned to go back. They were looking for every excuse to compare God's promises with God's deliverance in, in, uh, from Egypt. And their fear caused them to reject God's promises of land, of blessing, and protection from slavery. It's sad to say that many Christians do the same in the analogy. As you and I reject God's promises, not for land or blessings and protection from slavery, but protection and freedom from sin, for the blessings that he gives for those who walk the Christian life. This is true for us as well. Well, let me ask you, what is the object of your faith? Is it the blessings and promises of God or is it Egypt? Is it the things of the world? Is it the things that you miss or the things that the world has to offer? What do you yearn for? If you and I say the things of God, then why do we shrink back in fear at the sight of suffering and troubles and temptations? Following you, God, is just too much. Carrying your cross is just too much. You want me to witness to my friends? You want me to live a holy life? You want me to train for godliness? You want me to do what? This is too difficult. You may even say today, I'd love to read God's word, but I can't understand it. I can't know God. And your fear has fueled an unbelief that God can create and do things in our lives that you and I could not even imagine. We look at the Christian life and we complain that it's too hard and it's too difficult and it's too bothersome. We yearn for the things of the world and we look at our unsaved friends and we desire the freedom of slavery. That's a strange word, I know, phrase, freedom from slavery or freedom of slavery. But it's like scripture says, we're a dog who returns to his vomit. We've been freed from our sin, but yet we desperately want to go back to it. We yearn for that. We look at our unsaved friends and families and say, look at their lives. They're just enjoying it. They have no problems. They're not facing any ridicule. They're not facing any uh, objections or complaints from others because of their Christian life. And you and I live life that way. We forget God's wonderful promises that are found in Scripture. In 1 John, we read, little children, you are from God and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. 
You may see your problems and your enemies as children of Anak and they're Goliaths and they're big. But you and I have to recognize that God is greater than all of them. James tells us every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shadow due to change. Yes, God will bring suffering and temptation and trials in your life. But he also brings joy and hope and blessings that are beyond comparing. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 3 through 6. It's here on the monitor. We looked at it in Sunday school as well. So blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. Let me tell you, the world has a hope, but that hope is a wishful uh, thinking. Something that they wish may happen. But for you and I, that living hope is not wishful thinking, but it's a confident expectation that God will fulfill his promises. For all things work to good to those that are called to Christ Jesus. You and I have been born, caused to be born through a hope through the resurrection of Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. That's kept in heaven for you. He goes on to say, who by God's power, listen to this, we are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. This time in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been greed by various trials. You and I need to strengthen ourselves in the promises of God, and we need to adopt the attitude and actions of Joshua and Caleb, who courageously trusted that God was able to do all that he had promised. Do not let your fear of the uh, do not let your fear of others prevent you from following Christ at all cost. What or whom are your eyes fixed on? The promises of God, the fear of the unknown. The second consideration is the price that one pays for the unbelief in the person and the promises of God. To believe in him brings us the great promises, but an unbelief in him has a price to pay. And scripture gives us several consequences for unbelief. In Matthew chapter 13, as we look at verse 53, you don't have to turn there, we read that, that unbelief may rob one of God's blessings. Jesus was, was in his hometown and he had just got done teaching some of the parables. And he comes to Nazareth in his hometown and he begins to teach them. And it says they were astonished and they asked, where did this man get his wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas right here? Is not all of his sisters among us? Where did this man get all these things? It says they took offense at Jesus. Jesus said these words that many of us know. A prophet is not with honor except in his own hometown and in his own household. In verse 58, it ends by this, and he did not do many works because of their unbelief. An unbelief in the promises of God may rob you of God's goodness and blessings towards you. In Mark 16, we read that it leads to a rebuke and a condemn or, or a demonstration of a, a demonstrate, excuse me, a hardened heart. 
Jesus appeared before the eleven after the resurrection. It says he rebuked them for their unbelief and their hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had said he had risen. So you and I must realize that the consequence of unbelief is that God may not do a work. He may not deliver you from that very temptation, the trial that you're undergoing, the suffering. It may harden your heart. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 3. And we're getting close to the end. Just strap in, we're almost there. Hebrews chapter 3. Here the writer of this letter is going to warn us of another consequence of unbelief. Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12, it warns us that unbelief can actually lead to apostasy. Hebrews 3.12 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from God. And here's my worry, is that in this church, even in this small community, there may be a danger of some of you of walking away because of unbelief. Fear has prevented you from following Christ at all costs. You may walk away. Instead, look at verse 13. He exhorts this community of believers. He says in verse 13, But exhort, encourage one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have all come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As is today, he says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Verse 16. For those who heard and yet rebelled, was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? Verse 17. And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned and whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So here's why you and I come together. Here's why we continually encourage you to be in our Sunday school, in our small groups, and in church together, and do life during the week. It's found there in verse 19. So see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. You and I are to encourage one another. We know that there is those of you who are struggling with fear today. The promises of God are dimmed in your view and fear is high in your hearts. And you and I are to exhort and encourage one another. The third consideration is the blessing for those that believe and trust in the promises of God. The Apostle Paul writes in Timothy, 1 Timothy, it's here on the monitor. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful appointed me to a service, though formerly, listen, I was a blasphemer, I was a persecutor and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I, I acted ignorantly in what? Unbelief. And the grace of God has overflowed for me uh, with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Let me share with you here today God is ready to help you from your unbelief. He can give you the spirit who will open your minds and heart. The genuine belief in the person and the promises of the Trinity lead to life. 
Do not succumb to fear, but be strong. Be courageous, knowing that God is the almighty God and he is the Lord who is slow to anger, who's abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up with every head bowed and every eye closed. Let me ask, are you filled with pessimistic exaggerations? Are you struggling to believe in the promises of God? Is fear holding you back from experiencing the wonderful blessings of God? If so, would you cry out the prayer of the father of a young boy who went to Jesus and said, Jesus, help my unbelief. It may be time for you to refocus your attention on the creator of the universe rather than what this world has to offer. It might be time for you to reconsider any friendships that you have with those who question the goodness of God or at least redirect them to scripture and the one who is worthy to be the object of admiration. Or maybe you're here this morning and you do not know Christ. I pray that if there's any of you here that do not know where you will spend eternity, you don't know the words, what it means to be born again or be a new creature. Let me share with you that Christ came that you may have eternal life. It means to repent of our sin. What that means is to repent of dead works, is to turn away and recognize that just going to church or doing good works will not get me to heaven. It will not make me right with God. And then put your trust in the works of Christ. We'd like to share you more how you could do that. At the end of our service, uh, Randy, our elder, is going to be here up the front. If you have uh, a question about your faith, a question of how you might become a Christian, Maybe you just want to know how more you can fight the fear that leads and fuels unbelief and trust in the promises of God. Or maybe you simply just want someone to pray with you. He'll be here at the front. Let us pray and just ask God to bring, and bring us to a greater commitment of belief. Father, we just come before you this morning. We just thank you so much for your goodness and your love for us. We thank you for these examples, not in the fact that they failed, but the Father that even in their failure, You have caused us to be born again to a living hope. And Father, this is for our instruction. If there's any here that are struggling with unbelief, Father, would you just pray, I just pray that you would open up their minds and their hearts to the reality of your promises. Let us encourage one another. Let us lift one another up. And let us bear one another's burdens in that way. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.